I want to ask you to, um, to read with me a chunky portion. And, and that chunky portion is chapter 2. This is 20 verses. And as we go through it, we may make a few comments as we do. So it says there in uh, Nehemiah chapter, one, chapter 2, I'm so used to saying chapter 1, verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, In the month of Nisan, say with me Nisan. It's not the car or vehicles, it's a month. It's now four months after Nehemiah had heard the news of the, um, the, the situation in Jerusalem that really was, was, was um, con- a great concern to him. And so in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, uh-huh. Amazing that the Bible would put that in there. Like Nehemiah just wanted to make sure that he was serving the king and he had to test the wine and, and make sure that the king doesn't die of each little bit of wine or food that he has. And so I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. We know the fact that um, he was very saddened when he heard about the status of the place where his fathers were from. Israel, Jerusalem. And when he heard it, the Bible says in chapter 1 that he was crying, was weeping, and he went to God about it. But he tried to keep that, that sadness from the king because he was so honoring towards the king. He was there to serve the king. So it wasn't about his own concerns that Nehemiah thought about. For four months, he had been hiding the fact that he had heard some very, very disturbing news about Israel. And he doesn't run to the king first and say, king. No, he's like, God, this is, this is between you and me. You've given me a heart for this situation. I don't know what to do, but somehow you're going to make an opening for us to be able to go and do something about it. So he leaves it up to God, like we often do. Hey, we don't try to sort it out ourselves. Uh-huh. You're good at that. Some of you. Like, I'm not going to let this thing deter me from what God has called me to do. God has called me to serve the king, Artaxerxes. Say with me, Artaxerxes. Well done. And so he's called to serve the king, but he doesn't go in and, and, and plead before the king, first of all, and say, oh, come on, this is a dis- disturbing situation. You've got to let me go for four months. He says, I did not let my sadness appear before the king and in his presence. And then the king, in verse 2, says, the king now notices, four months you're not going to be able to stop those two people there at the back from smiling this whole week and for the next couple of months because they've heard some great news. But imagine trying to hide good news or real disturbing news. Uh-huh. It's difficult. It's like you coming and serving the king every morning, day after day. I'm actually in exile. My, my, my father's people, they... they really in a bad situation. I, I wish I can go and help them, but I'm here to serve the king. I'm here to serve the king. I just want to say to us, wherever God has placed you, you're there to serve. You're not there to be served. We'll talk about that a little bit later. We're there to serve, regardless of the situation and, and how challenging it may be. Serve. Is that okay? So he says, then when the king notices this, why is your face sad, seeing you're not sick? There's nothing but sadness of the heart. He notices there's something wrong with Nehemiah. And then I was very much afraid because he was was concerned about the fact that should he let the king know that actually I want to go to my people, I want to go help there. It may seem like a disloyal moment that he's turning his back on the king 
and, and you never know what that could lead to. The king could have him just killed in that moment. Say, ah, I'm just sensing a little bit of disloyalty here. Nehemiah, I can't afford to have you around because I need to trust you with my life. And if you're not with me, then I am quite vulnerable. And so Nehemiah was afraid, and, and I said to the king, then he brings loyalty to the king immediately. He says, let the king live forever. He says, I want to make sure, king, you know that I'm here for you. I want to serve you, all right? Why should not my face be sad? I love the fact that he's real. <laughs> How many times are we asked when we're in a particular situation that is not so comfortable and people ask you, are you okay? We're like, I'm fine. I'm okay. Now, I'll be fine again. And we're not being real. Here he is actually so real. That he's just saying, King, why can I not? Why shouldn't my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and, and its gates has been destroyed by fire? The king said, not, hey, why, how can you think of them? You're here to serve me. You're here in my nation. I've taken you captive to be mine. Don't think of your life. No, the king says, what are you requesting? So what is it that you're asking? And Nehemiah responds. His response is, how's this? So I'll pray to the God of heaven. It's not just, I'm ready to talk. It's like, God. And it's obviously in the silence of his own heart that he was doing this as he stands before the king. And by the way, we don't, the Bible does say that. When you stand in front of kings and rulers and you don't know what to say, God will give you the words to say. But are you dependent upon him or are you just so prepared to have this speech delivered? And Nehemiah says he knows exactly what he needs because he'll give it to him now. But he just firstly prays again. Firstly prays. And like, Father, please help me that I will declare what needs to be said and that I will bring honor to you so that what I need to go and do will be done. So he prays that prayer. And um, out of that, that prayer moment, um, the following happens. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you may send me to Judah, 15, 1,800 miles away, uh, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, queen sitting beside him. I love the fact that the queen was recognized. Uh-huh. So, ladies, we just want to say that in this church we recognize you, whether you're sitting behind a man or not. I just want to say that. Often identity is not found in who's next to you, but who's in you. All right? The queen didn't have identity because the king was in his role. The queen had identity regardless of who sat next to her. I think often... We, we look at our lives and we try to find identity in, in who I am, where I'm from, who I'm married to or not married to, who I was raised by, where I was raised, where I live now, what I have, what I, what I own as, as, as material possessions. And it's not about that. It's, are you sitting with God? Are you in relationship with God? That's your place of identity. Nothing else. And how long will you be gone, the king is asking. And then when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. I said, king, if you can afford me this space of time, it'll be so kind if I can go and do what I need to do. 
And so it pleased them. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters. Now he's asking for something more. So he's not just asking for a specific period of time. He's asking for two more things here, Nehemiah. So there's obviously a good relationship that he has with this king, that he can approach them on not just this massive need that he has to go, but he wants to go in a certain way. And this is what he's asking. He says, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. Because he's going to pass through foreign country and that is, that is controlled and under the reign of this king. And, and he needs some sort of guidance and just support by the king that will say, listen, let this guy through, otherwise they may kill me because I am a Jew. And so he's asking for letters. And then he, and he also says, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber. To make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I should occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of the Lord was upon me. And then it carries on and it says, And then I came to the governors uh, beyond the river. The river is the Euphrates River. And it, uh, I gave them the king's letters. And, and the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. So not only did he give him a letter, he gave him military support. It's like over and above, isn't it? And so horsemen were there too. But when Sanballat, say with me Sanballat. Oh, that's not a great guy because he, he was, and right throughout Nehemiah, we'll start noticing that, he, that he's the main opposition that tries to discourage and is quite threatened by Nehemiah. But when Sanballat, the, the Horonite, like, like horrible night or whatever, Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, um, servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. How's that for a heart, eh? Amazing. So they were obviously threatened by this Jew that had come to seek the welfare of the Jews because the Jews were under their control now because they had occupied their land and many of them had been taken away. And so they're like, the Jews have no value. We're, we're here to govern them and to make sure that they are not a threat to us. And now this dude comes and he wants to help them. Major, major threat. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I rose in the night and a, and a few men with me. And I told no one what God had put in my heart to do, to do for Jerusalem. So he didn't come in with a fanfare and big lights and Nehemiah has arrived. Or next week Nehemiah will come. Our Savior, he's going to come and, and do everything that we need him to do. No, he just came in very quietly. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. And I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. And I expected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. And then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool. But there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. And then I went up in the night by the valley and, and expected the wall. And I turned back and entered the valley gate and so I returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. So he had not disclosed any of the intent of him coming to Jerusalem to no one. He didn't try to be a hero. Hey, I've arrived. Nehemiah's around. Don't worry, everybody. I've come to save you. No, it's like, hey, Jesus has sent me or God has sent me. And I want to do it in such a way that he will be honored. It's so different to so often what we find here on earth, isn't it? And then I said to them, then only I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? He's talking to, to fellow Jews, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, 
Let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told him of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. That's the thing that qualified him. Not the fact that he knew how to rebuild a wall. He had never done it before. He had just been sipping wine and drinking, you know, or eating olives and caviar or whatever before the king so that the king wouldn't die if it was possibly poisoned. He knew nothing about rebuilding of walls. He's just saying, the good hand of God is upon me. God had called me for this. And that is the qualification that you and I need. The good hand of God upon us. And it's not because we have done good. It's because He has done us good. That the good hand of God is upon you. To be a businessman. To be a, a, a student at school. To be um, whatever it is that God has called you to be. The good hand of God makes you successful. And it's not determined by your salary. It's the fruit that flow from your hand. It is the speech that you have when you stand in front of people and just respect them and love them and bring peace as we spoke earlier on. The good hand of God. And also of the words that the king has spoken to me. So he says, because of the good hand of God, it also gave me favor in front of the king um, there in that verse. And then it says, and they said, how's this? Immediately. Don't know Nehemiah from a borrower. They said, Okay, we hear you. Good hand of God is upon you. The king's favor is there. Let us rise up and build. Love that. Let us rise up and build. And we in the series going through the book of Nehemiah, not because we just want to get information about who Nehemiah is and what God had called him to do. We're in a process of going through Nehemiah because we believe that God has called us as a church to be part of a rebuilding process in this city and in this nation and in this world. And so when God's good hand is upon us, His good hand is upon us, He gives us favor so that we can rise up and build. And folk, we have been called to do that. We have been called to rise up and build. And so it carries on. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. <laughs> Here comes old Sanballat again. Verse 19, it says, But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, servant and Geshem the Arab heard of, now there's three of them. So the company is just growing. The opposition is becoming more. Hallelujah. It's amazing that, eh? It's like this is a great moment to say thank you, Jesus, for that. You should have all said amen because opposition is great. It shows that you're doing the right thing. Uh-huh. When the devil opposes you, like, that's fine. I know I'm doing the right thing. That's why you hate my guts, eh, devil? Because I love Jesus. And so it says, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is the thing that you are doing? Are you rebellious against the king? Are they trying to accuse him of that? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. And we servants will rise, arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. How's that? Way to go. You've done chapter 2. There's so much in this chapter. And I'd love for us just to understand this morning. The title of my message, by the way, is just very simply, A Robe and a Raincoat. A robe and a raincoat. How that'll fit in, we will see just now. But it's really of talking about the fact that God called Nehemiah away from his place where he was stationed, where he, was, where he had lived. He probably um, grew up there, probably born in exile, in captivity. He had never been to Jerusalem. And God calls him away from his place of possible comfort. He had been in a palace. He had been serving the king. Not a bad spot to be in. And yet there was something more that God had wanted him to go and experience. 
There are other people in the Bible that God also called away. We know the story of Abraham, that he was settled in one place with his dad. And, and God said to him, you've got to leave that place because I want to establish something through you. And the nation of Israel or the Jewish nation needed to be, to be born from the life of Abraham. And Abraham had to leave where he was from. We know that Joseph had to leave where he had lived, and we know the story about that, how he was taken into captivity and, and moved into Egypt and became eventually the prime minister of Egypt that caused the whole nation of Israel to be saved during a time of famine. We know how Moses also grew up in the palace and how he became part of the family and how God called him out of the palace to go and save the nation of Israel that now had to move out of Egypt to go into the promised land. So there are various stories in the Bible, and the ultimate one of one person was prepared to leave where he had been all his life, not that his life ever started, is the man called Jesus. Jesus left heaven for you and me, just as Nehemiah, I mean, obviously Jesus, much more powerful and accomplished much more than Nehemiah ever did, but it also speaks to us, because the Old Testament points, it's always pointing towards what is coming. So people leaving points us towards Christ leaving heaven for you and me. And so all these stories talk to us about the reality that somehow there's a time where God calls on us not to leave physically. And again, as we honored Charles and Barbara this morning for having left and now being called back, there's a reality that we don't have to physically go anywhere. It is a spiritual position that we find ourselves in to say, God, I don't want to live in this place of, of my own comfort. I want to live for something bigger than myself. And I want to take you at this, at this point to the little town of Victoria Falls. How many of you have not been to Vic Falls yet? A few of you. Not been to Vic Falls. Clive, you're lying. Yay. Right in front of the people. <laughs> oh, you're just rubbing your nose. Oh. <laughs> Big Falls, obviously, most of you, see, we've got to take you up there. Hey? Uh, anybody just like to, from whatever time you would like to do that, Seba's never been to the Victoria Falls. If you feel just led and inspired to make it possible. <laughs> hey, buddy, we, gotta, we care about you. Anyway, there's this place called Victoria Falls, and, and I want to take you to two, two places of attraction, two different places. The one place is, is a place of great construction beauty. It was built, I cannot give you the name, because just the, this thing goes over the internet, and if I, if I mention the name, then I may be in trouble, not because I want to disqualify that place, I just want to use it as an illustration. The one place is a place of incredible um, constructive beauty. People created something amazing. The other one is why the falls exist. is because of God created beauty. And that's the actual falls itself. And when I compare these, I'm going to show you just a picture of this one constructed beautiful place. Um, amazing hotel. We'd been there. I haven't stayed there. I can only afford high tea there. And that in itself was already a price and a half. But um, nevertheless, beautiful place. If you turn the view around, you'll see that it, looks, it overlooks this incredible um, view that it has of the actual falls. That's high tea, by the way. It's like they stack these wonderful little snacks and stuff. Um, and, and you can sit there and you can overlook this beautiful picture of the actual falls. There's the bridge. There's the spray. 
And uh, you can enjoy that. And just sit there. And have a wonderful um, experience of the beauty of the falls from a distance. If you carry on with the pictures, you will see that that's really what you want to go and experience. Next picture is about the same. The beauty of Victoria Falls. The point is this. We go back to the picture just of the view overlooking the falls. Is that most people, if not every one of them, would go to the falls not to experience the hotel. They stay in the hotel. But imagine you're going to the falls. And that's all you do. You just stay at the hotel. And you say, well, guys, look at the pictures I could got for you back home, for the folks back home. We could actually see the spray of the falls. We could experience it. And uh, we could so revel in this beauty of the falls across there. But did you actually get there, ever go? It's a two-kilometer walk, they say. No, we never did. It's just lovely to see it from the, from the comfort of our hotel. And, and in this hotel, what they do is I had to, I couldn't get it from the actual hotel. So um, I got it from a friend that um, enabled me to have something like this. There's a picture later on. I need to have a cordless mic or a clip-on one here today. But anyway, what they give you in these really posh hotels in your room, you'll get, a, you'll get a robe like this. A bath. <laughs> hey? Yeah, there's a picture there. I didn't take it off me. Hey? It's that one. What do you mean it's not that one? It's white, isn't it? <laughs> and so, um, they, they, they give this to you because you're going to be a guest and, and, and they love for you to be comfortable and you don't walk around with it because um, that's actually what you do after you've bathed if you've never understood this. And you don't go walking around in the place with it. But the point is, a, a robe is it's a wonderful garment of comfort. You can sit in your room and many of these rooms are quite posh and there's lots of space where you can just roam around freely. You can again go and have the, the view of the of the spray, of the falls. But this is the place where um, it's a man-made environment. It's comfortable and secluded. It's protected and cozy. It's a place of being served and a place of being waited upon. It has great views, but you're disconnected from activity on the outside. You can stay here for the whole time and never get to the falls. You can talk about what you see. You can even tell people how close you came to the actual view, but no definite involvement. You're able to witness life on the streets, but not required to do anything about it. Nobody that goes to a hotel wants to get involved in any of the activity in the streets. If there's any problems in the street and anything happens in Victoria Falls, you're in a hotel, hey, you're not going to get involved in it because you're not habitating. You're just visiting. You don't have to. It's not expected of you. You've got your robe. It's like, oh, is that what's happening outside? Oh, no. <laughs> so sad, you know. I've got my robe. I'm, I'm quite comfortable in here. And by the way, could we have dinner in the room tonight? Because I feel a little bit insecure going out into the restaurant. That's what you can do. People in hotels are often strangers from a different context. And they re rarely feel inspired to get involved in local issues. 
It's a perfect place to take pictures from and talk about how close we came without ever getting involved. Key is this. It'll always just be a place of visitation. People are sometimes more impressed with the fact that they stayed in this particular spot than the actual visit to the falls. Did you know where we stayed? We went to the falls, but do you know where we stayed? Yeah, the falls were great, but do you know how great this was? The other side of the, call it the river then. Samin, would you mind just hanging that up there for me on the whiteboard and bringing that whiteboard a bit forward? Thank you. When we, when we consider, if we go back to, or go ahead to the, um, to the slide on, on actually being at the, the falls, we realize that life is a bit different there. And I know it's still an attraction, and I know it's fun, and I know it's quite intriguing, as, as that picture illustrates, and I found the appropriate garment for that as well. Clive, would you hold this, please? When you, go to the, um, when you go to the falls, they offer these things to you at a cost, I'm sure, because of the spray. Fact is, the robe won't work there. People would look at you and frown. It's like, buddy, do you, have you been let out for a few hours? It's like something wrong. Um, point is, then you get to the falls, it's so wet and the spray is so high, particularly at this time of the year, that, that you've got to carry a raincoat. And I do think that, that God just gave me this, this picture of the difference between the hotel and the falls to help us understand that we can be secure in the places that we prefer to live, but never get to the place that He wants us to be. This God created beautiful phenomena, natural wonder of the world called the Victoria Falls. It's not properly enjoyed unless you go close to it and live your life kind of on the edge. Because you do find that there are many... Many places that you look down at the falls and you're right there on the edge. And God's called us to live not from a distance and experiencing Him. Nehemiah was quite distant from Jerusalem, but he felt that he needed to do something and leave his robe and go and get dirty in the streets of Jerusalem. And it's not a place of getting dirty. It's a place of getting wet, perhaps, but it's a place of awe, too. It's a place of wonder. Hence, it's been called the natural wonder. But it's a place where we go and we sit and we consider just how incredibly great our God is. And I do find that in life, we often miss out on just stopping and looking at God. We're so busy in the hotel. We've got our lives, you know. We've got our things that we want to sort out. We've got our comforts. We've got our preferences. We've got our, you know, things that people need to do for us. Ding! It's room service or whatever it is. God calls us to step beyond the comforts of our places, like he did to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah could understand that he would go there because the good hand of God is upon him. It may be daunting, it may be frightening, it may be scary to go into my workplace that is kind of like life on the edge and being amongst other people that don't appreciate the fact that I love Jesus. That's kind of, God, that's, that's messy out there. It's really messy. I, I may get wet, Jesus. But God says, hey, my good hand will be upon you. I've called you to live in such a place. And the robe is, is nice. I mean, I'd love that too if I would ever get the opportunity to stay in a hotel like that. It's great, but that's a place of visiting. It's not where we 
stay. It's not a place of habitation. It's a place of visitation. And we do it the other way around often with God. We visit God and we habitually stay in our comfort zone. It's like, God, I just want to quickly, Sunday morning, I'll be with you and I'll bring my robe and it's, this is my moment where I give to you. And God says, now I want you to take off the robe and wear the raincoat where it's wet, we're in amongst other people. And, and I've seen it so many times when we've had the privilege to go to the falls is that you see the whole world there. And God's called us to go into the world and in the midst of this beautiful God and this creation that He's given us. And God's more, more beautiful than what the falls could ever be, but it's just an, a picture of, the, of, of how great, create, how creative God is. As, as we behold Him, we've got... Hey, excuse me, you want me to help you to take a picture because you're trying to do a selfie and it's not going to work and I connect with Asian folk. I connect with, I connect with Americans. I connect with Germans. I, I connect with people. As you walk there along the, the pathways, you can hear different languages being spoken. And I know you can hear that too in, in the hotel, but you can shut the door there. Oh, that's enough now. That enough of them. I want to just go into my private little room, turn on what I want to watch on TV, because in the lounge you're going to watch what they decide, and I don't like that. I want to do my thing. Out at the falls, there's no TV, by the way. It gets messy out there. You get wet. And that's the life God has called us to live. I do find that I'm challenged between these two. So, I mean, could you take this and do the opposite side, please? I do believe that as, as Nehemiah helps us to understand that when God calls us, He often calls us out of our comfort zones. Where we say, God, the, the robe moment has been so cool. It's been wonderful. But I know that you're calling me to something, something bigger where my life is going to be on display. I can hide in my room. But here's no place of hiding. You're putting me out there in the school. You're putting me out there in the workplace and into a business arena or whatever it is. People are watching me. They see when I, when I get afraid of the heights. They see when I get annoyed with the spray. They see when I get annoyed with my wife not taking a better picture of how I'm posing here. Whatever it may be. They see me who I am. I'm, I can easily sit around the dining room table and just pretend and oh, this steak is lovely. But it really isn't. Out there in the world, in the streets where the going gets tough, that's where God has called us to be. And see, we cannot, we cannot find identity there because it's not the hotel's fault. I'm talking about a lifestyle. Our identity is found in the presence of God where we stand in awe of who He is and we look at the big falls and we're like, God, this is you. You created this and what are you trying to say to me about who I am? As I spend time with you, great moments these, but this is where we find our lives. This is where we find our identity. And this is where we find our purpose. And Nehemiah did that. And he battled. He surely did because we're human. He got upset with the rain. Like, oh, come on. The other day we went there, and in November we took friends from Doha 
Kevin and Nicole, they were here, and it, and it wasn't in flood, and it, there wasn't any spray, and we're like, this is going to be great, and then the rain came. Oh, no, no, we would. We were soaking wet. Should have given you that picture of Sumin when she got so soaking wet. Like the hair and the makeup, and it's like amazing. We were okay. Um, <laughs> but it's, you get, it's messy out there. You know, tell it's like, oh, it's raining. Oh, lovely. We just turn on the air conditioner a bit. The real life is found where we're connected to the great God that we serve and to the people that we find amongst us. And God's called us to a life like that. And somehow, in the life of Nehemiah, we see that. I want to encourage you this morning. As you just read through chapter 2, read through, the, through that chapter and see the willingness in a man. He was standing in fear and trepidation before this king. But he knew he had to leave the palace. And if the palace in your life and in my life may be my preferences, my preferences of, of you know, my own comfort, I don't like to do that stuff. They're asking me to do this, and it's, this is not nice, and this is not great for me, and, and I don't want to connect with those people because that's uncomfortable. I don't like those people. I don't want to be put into situations where it's challenging to me. I prefer X, Y, Z. Then close the door and put on a sign outside that says, no, please don't, do not disturb. This is my spot. And I wonder sometimes if we don't live like that. We put a do not disturb sign up outside of our hearts. It's like, hey, this is my life. I want to live it this way. Don't get closer. But if we get out of it and leave the rope behind and we walk the two kilometers and we go into the, into the rainforest and we say, God, this is something of what you've called me to. And I want to experience you in this. I want you to speak to me. I want to know that the good hand of God is here with me. But I'm thankful that I can be here because this is where I can make a difference. This is where the rebuilding, work takes, the rebuilding work takes place. And please use me. I'm at your disposal. But it comes from understanding who God is. Spending time with Him. Not spending time with myself. It's kind of like the analogy, isn't it? There we spend time with ourselves. Here we spend time with God and people. And so I want to leave that with you. This morning as we prepare our hearts to, to break bread and share of the juice, which is really just so clearly the example of all examples of someone who was prepared to leave some comfort behind and come into a world where he eventually was killed. Jesus, in this context, left the robe and put on the raincoat for you and me. He left it all for you and me. And our response this morning is simply, God, where I need to make a call that will benefit you and people, help me to do that. God's called us to a radical lifestyle. And we can be content in ourselves and think that I'm, I can sit on the veranda, on the patio, the terrace is in front of me. I can see the spray there. Oh, there's God. There's where he's called me to. I'm fine here. Where I can take off the robe and go and see it and experience him and be available for him. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you this morning.
that Nehemiah is such a powerful story of someone understanding what it means to live sacrificially for you. God, it's just one example. The, the best one is obviously you, Jesus, coming to die for our sins. You left your robe and you took on the raincoat in this sense, but you took on the burden of the cross so that we may live. And I pray, Father, that if there's anyone here this morning that have never understood what, it, what was accomplished on the cross for them when you died for their sins, I pray this morning, Lord God, that there will be a revelation of that that will enter their hearts and that they will respond to that. And Lord God, for us who have understood that, help us not to take it for granted and just kind of be content with sitting on the patio and overlooking where God is at work and where He wants us to be and what He's calling on us to be. Help us to leave the rope behind and take that raincoat and say, Jesus, here I come. I want to be at, at your service. I want to go and wherever I may find myself, say as Nehemiah said, let us rebuild. Let us be involved. For the good hand of God is upon us. I pray for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus.